This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast, which focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I, normally, I, I like to focus on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game, but my guest today might make that a little hard because he just came off winning the largest single 40k singles event ever. I have Brett Perkins. Brett, say hi to everyone. How you doing, everybody? Uh, so, if you don't know, Brett Perkins played nine rounds, the Las Vegas Open, won all nine of his games. I think, you, did you tie one, Brett, or did you win all nine? I tied one against Andrew Gagneau. That was, you so did was, tie against Andrew Gagneau. That looked like a really good game. That looked like an intense game. Uh, but he did tie one game, um, but he did go through nine rounds against grueling, amazing opponents, and came out on top. So, first off, congratulations, Brett, for winning the entire thing. That is not an easy feat. Thank you. It's, a, it's a, definitely a to earn that one. Uh, so, Brett played with Renegades. He had a, a Renegade list, and if you don't know what Renegades are, Renegades are Trader Guard found in the Siege of Vrax book. Um, they're really cheap, they are really hard to table, and they have a lot of really, really cheap mass shooting. And they are also Battle Brothers with Demons, which is something brett took full advantage of with uh i think you had a screamer star um and a lot of renegades and then you had a sky shield landing pad and i think a void shield generator or did you take that out uh this one i just had the sky shield landing pad just had the sky shield landing pad um so so if you'd like to see his list you can go to the las vegas open on the best coast pairings player app and look at his list and check it out. He should be the number one player. He's right there in placings, the very top, Brett Perkins. If you want to check that out, if you're kind of curious about what people bring when they're bringing Renegades, um, it's basically a lot of artillery, a lot of shots, uh, and then demons. So we're going to be talking about Brett's experience at the Las Vegas Open and kind of what it takes to make it to that next level, to make it to the top tables and to do well. And not only that, but Brett's been in the competitive scene a long time. He's got a lot of experience and a lot of insight into going to events and doing well in different formats. Uh, he's done really well at Adepticon. He's been invited to the Nova Open and the Nova Invitational multiple times. Uh, he's won the LVO. Um, he's all over the place everywhere He's, he goes to events he goes to, i think you went to warzone atlanta did you not go to warzone atlanta i went to warzone atlanta i managed second because it was a battle point tournament you did. didn't have a natural winner yeah so w w he's been to warzone atlanta he's been if, if you can think of events that are in a particular region in the lvo i think brett's been to them all 
Uh, is there any region in the United States, Brett, that you have not been to? I guess the uh, southeast. The south. Been up north. I've been, and I haven't been to Texas for an event, but I've been to the west coast and east coast multiple times, and the Midwest. Well, I was from the Midwest, so. Okay, so so the south. Although isn't Warzone Atlanta? Isn't Georgia the southeast? Touche. I, like, I guess I've never like been to is. Florida. I got a Florida Florida group that I usually. Uh, I see. They tried to recruit me for ATC last year. <laughs> Orlando Hereticus. Hereticus. The, the point is is that Brett is an experienced player. He's been around a long time. He's run multiple lists. He doesn't just have Renegades. Um, and it'd be good to kind of get a little bit of insight from him. We're also going to be talking about in the main topic. I'm sure you guys read the title. We're going to be talking about time management in games. We're going to cover the issue of slow playing. We're going to cover the issue of running out of time and what you can do to fix it. And then we're going to be talking a little bit about what TOs can do to mitigate slow playing and what I've heard around the community and how people are dealing with it. It's a very controversial topic. Uh, as you know, as you know, the ITC vote didn't go down lower to lower points, so we're still playing at 1,850 points, but the game is being constantly updated with more and more information and more and more free things. And it's it's the rules blow is impacting the game and events a little longer, and so games aren't finishing and coming to a natural conclusion. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. And I think it should be a very interesting conversation. But before we're going to do that, and before we talk about Brett's LVO experience, we are going to give a shout-out to some sponsored events on the Best Coast Pairings Player App. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, a sponsored event on the Best Coast Pairings Player App is an event where you would be able to see the lists of the players playing in the event, even though you're not attending the event. Um, now, not every event is a sponsored event, so you won't be able to see the list of every single player on the app. Um, but the Best Coast Pairings guys are reaching out to tournament organizers and making their events sponsored events. And so that basically that draws coverage to your event as a TO. So if you are a TO and you want to get your event sponsored, you can email Best Coast Pairings at itc at bestcoastpairings.com or you can email me, frontlinegamingpdpob at gmail.com. We will get your event sponsored. Uh, you, your event will get some recognition. People will see the players that are winning your event and doing well at your event. And with that kind of coverage, people can kind of see like, oh, well, a Dark Angel player did really well at this event. Maybe I'll go there next year. Uh, or they'll think about the other people's lists and instead of thinking about, or basically instead of spending resources and time looking up other players' lists, because that's what most people do. Uh, after big events, the main question I get is, what list won? What list made the top eight? Let me see your list. Uh, with this app, we basically give them their list, and you guys can just look at the list yourself. We don't have to answer those questions and waste posting material on just the list, and then we can get into the nitty-gritty and like why those players chose their list and why those lists did well. And maybe we can even shatter some perceptions of really, really strong lists, because every every tournament, Eldar aren't winning every tournament. Ta Tau aren't winning every tournament. Um, although I think I think in this case you'll see a lot of Eldar and Tau in these events that I'm going to talk about, um, but that's not the case in all events, and not all events have the same format. So first event we're going to be covering is the 40k Contest of Champions. This actually happened on the 18th of February, uh, so I'm so sorry I didn't cover it on the 25th. You guys will be hearing this the beginning of March, um, so I didn't cover it on the 25th when I'm recording it, but. Basically, the Contest of Champions was a 1,000-point-5-round, 34-player event. First place was Paul McKelvey with Tau. He's actually a crew, Best Coast Pairings crew member, and he did really well at the LVO, and he's been doing really well with his Tau lately. He got 
first place at this event. Uh, one, Mike Benton got second place with his Black Mains, 1,000 points, which I'm shocked. I didn't know you could actually fit the Black Mains formation in 1,000 points, but Mike Benton did it. Uh, and then Ben Vaughn, who traditionally plays Imperial Knights, five Imperial Knights to be exact, he brought his Imperial Fists with his Skyhammer and Raptor Wing, and that's your top three. Uh, so that's kind of cool. That's that's different. Um, it's not surprising to see Tau do well at 1,000 points. Brett, what would you run at 1,000 points? At a thousand points, that'd be a tough, tough cookie to crack. I'd probably the thirty. Was it a Rogue Trader tournament or a it was GT? A five round, it was a five round GT. Because usually events like that, I'll run like a silly list and just see see how far my tactical skill can take me. But uh, for a thousand points, I'd probably mess around with Nids and bring in some Turbigons because I like to spawn stuff. Yeah, a thousand points. It's a different format. Uh, I'm actually pleasantly surprised that. Eldar didn't make the top three, um, which which kind of goes to show that maybe Eldar don't dominate those small round points like other people have been thinking, or maybe because so many people are playing against Eldar, they know how to beat them now. Um, but that's kind of cool. The the top threes, with the exception of the Tau list, and Paul McKelvey's Tau list is far from traditional Tau. Uh, it's it's kind of diverse. I mean, you get two Space Marines, but one is Black Man Space Wolves, and then the other is an Imperial Fist with a Skyhammer and a Raptor Wing, which is actually kind of unique. Um, but at that level, you're not seeing battle companies or... I'm surprised there wasn't a small Bark Star. Yeah, that. I think a Bark Star would have been really strong. Maybe they limited the detachment number. Um, I don't know. That's interesting. At second event is the Warzone Central Coast in New South Wales, Australia. Uh, Jeremy Young won with a Warlock Star, or I guess a, it's not a Seer Council Star. It's definitely a Warlock Star, like a little mini one, Eldar. Uh, with Spiders and Wraith Knight and Wind Riders, you know, the usual Eldar suspects. Second place went to Trevor Hoyle, who went, who ran a double-optimized Stealth Codra Tau list with two units of Sisters of Silence. It's kind of cool. And then Ben Rorison won with Dark Angels, but no list was found because, Ben, you didn't submit your list to the Best of Those Pairings player app. Ben Rorison. Mm. Remember his name, guys. Shun him. If Don't make me go to Australia, Ben, and ring the shame bell. Every time you pick up a 40k model, so, so just um, that's okay. It's, it's perfectly okay. It's a new, the Best Coast Pairings Player app is a new thing. Uh, they're developing that new list software. So, uh, guys, we're just remember in the future, submit your lists. It helps the community grow, and it also helps me too. So I'm a little selfish when I'm asking it, but please just remember to submit your list. It'd be really cool. We can make we can combat illegal lists that way too by putting them out in the public, um, which is another problem that I think people kind of like to address when they or poke at when we talk about competitive 40k and events um so ben rorson a little slap on the wrist but good job making top three with dark angels i'm really curious to hear what you brought um you know dark angels can run a lot of interesting powerful lists and then that's it for the events that have already happened we have the berry bash that's happening right now on the 25th of february they are streaming their event on twitch it's in Canada, the Berry Bash. I watched a little bit of it. Those guys are doing a good job covering. It's very funny. Uh, Canadians are, I think, the funniest country in North America. I think. Mm. I don't think Americans are that funny compared to Canadians. Touché. I don't know. I guess we're some serious people sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then yeah. So, anyways, joking aside, the Berry Bash guys are doing a great job. I wanted to give a shout out to them. Their event is a sponsored event. So you're going to be able to catch the last few rounds of their event on Sunday, the 26th. Um, obviously, you won't be here to watch it live because you'll be listening to this podcast the week after it happened. However, you can go to the Berry Bash because it is a sponsored event. And you can 
see what list did well there. Uh, I'm personally pulling for Dan Platt. He made the top eight, Delvio. Uh, he's a really nice guy. So Dan Platt, go Dan Platt. Woo! Um, Didn't you do it with Magnus? I, or was he Corsairs? He, uh, Dan Platt did do it with Magnus. Uh, the Corsair Magnus. player was Carter Leach. And then finally, Red Claw February Firefight in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada is going to be another sponsored event. Uh, that one's going to be happening this week as well. Um, so I just wanted to give a shout out to that. And then, of course, it's not a sponsored event because they're not using Best Coast pairings, but that's perfectly okay because you guys know who they are, Adepticon. Adepticon is going to be happening in March. I should have a couple more podcasts before Adepticon happens. I'll definitely have a pre and post adepticon tournament coverage segment in my podcast but just a quick shout out some adepticon hike we're hype we're in march adepticon's coming adepticon's going to be huge and better and they're growing every year and one day i'll make it out brett you've been to adepticon a few times what's so cutthroat it's so cutthroat it feels like the old hard boys Uh, it's i believe it's eight rounds right they they have four rounds a day yes yeah that's brutal uh, last year, Aaron, and, go ahead. Sorry, it's and it's unnerfed. So you know, last year, well, this year too, they're going to have two raid nights in the fight again, and it's just like I ran a D list last year just to strike the system. I tabled just about everybody in the first day. I had max points the first day, and then, brutal. Yeah, just, but I didn't really have fun doing it. You know, I kind of it kind of drained me doing that to people. So I was like, yeah, this ain't my thing really anymore. So. <laughs> what? Well, if you if you don't if you don't go if you don't like that kind of event, they also have a really large team event. I've heard it's pretty big. I think I think it's numbers Delvio. I think they have around five or six hundred players. It's kind of big, right? <laughs> um, but for the Adepticon team event is by far one of the coolest events every year, and I think that's the one that most people actually look forward to. Um, obviously, the Adepticon singles is a really it's a I don't know if it's their flagship event, but it's definitely. The one I, I think of when I think of Adepticon. Uh, but, Brett, have you ever done their team event? Uh, I've done their team event every time I've gone. And it's, it is really a lot of fun. You'll get, every, you'll get the people that are competitive. you get the people that are themed. They're all about the paint, display board. They have different categories you can win. Also, the 40K friendly has picked up a lot of speed there. Nice. So, and they come around, they'll troll the 40K champ players, too. It's hilarious. Nice. So... <laughs> So guys, if you're going to the if you're going to Adepticon, there's multiple events there. Uh, they all should be fun. It'll be a great time. So just give a shout out to them. Now, Adepticon, obviously, I've never been, but I've heard so many good things about Adepticon. But you just recently came back from the LVO and winning the LVO. Uh, Brett, tell us tell, first off for those of you who are too lazy or don't have the Best Coast Pairings Player app, what was your list exactly? Like just, All right, so I got it yeah. pulled up actually right now. Nice. So I got the uh, Renegade CAD, 949 total points. It's a uh, had the Renegade Command Squad with Covenant of Nurgle, and he's an Ordnance Tyrant. Standard standard list there to unlock the uh, troops and elites for artillery. My elites, I have three artillery carriage Earthshakers, two Wyverns, and then a Wyvern by itself. For troops, I had 17 zombies, 17 zombies, and then four solo mortars, quad mortars. For heavies, I had three rapier laser destroyers, three units of three with military training and an additional crewman. Uh, fortification, I had the sky shield landing pad because 
Sometimes things ignore cover and uh, armor, so I'd like to keep my units alive. The Chaos Demon's Cad was the Mask of Slanesh, because I hate Death Stars. It's pretty much every list I build is built to kill Death Stars, because I think they're just poison to the, to the <laughs> entire game. Fair enough. So I, I look to crush them. That's why I always run like a nasty list, because I just want to kill them outright. Yeah. Anyways, going on, uh, Fate Weaver. And then the uh, troops, I had two units of ten Brimstone Horrors. And then fast attack, I had seven screamers of screamers of Tzinch. and then of course the auto take formation for demons now, Harold Arcanic, <laughs> Anarchic. Um, I had a level three Harold on a disc with Paradox, a level one Harold on disc with the Exalted Reward Grimoire, and a Harold of Tzinch uh, on foot for forty-five points, two warp charges. Who wouldn't do it? <laughs> so um. Guys, for those of you who who don't know, Brett and I are fathers, um, and I hear him in the background. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm very lucky to have uh, my baby sleeping right now, but I'm sure she's going to wake up any minute um, because we have no control over it. But Brett, uh, is it sounds like like your kid doesn't really appreciate your list too much. <laughs> no, it's, it's the tears of my enemies right there. <laughs> All I hear is cheese, cheese. <laughs> um. But all joking aside, guys, that, that would be the noise in the background. Not a big deal. Um, Brett took the time out of his day to talk to us. And, you know, we don't all have amazing studios. I, I'm obviously, I'm in my house, in my den right now talking and hoping that my, my daughter doesn't wake up. Um, so just, that's the noise. Forgive us. If my daughter screams, forgive me in advance. She she might. She probably will. She's done it before. Um but anyways, onto the list. So that that's a that's a brutal list. That that list you have the screamer star, um, and the psychic, the warp dice, and you actually I, I know you fate weaver is your warlord, um, which I no, see it has to it has to be the uh, renegade. He has oh. to be my warlord to oh, unlock the, the uh, zombies okay. and. Uh, Never mind. No, no, it's no big deal. Um, so that's even better then. So I'm assuming you keep your warlord hidden somewhere on the sky shield landing pad or in reserves or somewhere far away from everyone. He's actually almost always with the artillery carriage unit. And I think I only put them on the sky shield once during the event. Every other game it was the wyverns and the rapier laser destroyers because I needed them to stay alive more than I needed anything else. Plus, it's really hard to kill the artillery carriage regardless if it's on the sky shield. That is true. It's, it gets so many bodies. They all have a four binvuln. Um, T7. It's really, really hard to kill those, especially if you have a Screamer Star summoning, uh, running around, killing things that get too close. Uh, Fate Weaver blowing things out of the sky and blowing up things on the ground. Um, it's a great list. What if you? First off, I know there there were several evolutions of this list. I know you played a you ran a different list at the Renegade Open. Uh, it was a very similar list, but I think there were some things that you tweaked at the Renegade Open. Um, so tell me about the evolution of this list. Okay, so I've actually run a different variant of this list at every... It wasn't necessarily the Orden start. I've only run, I think, three times now through the year. I used to run the Unending Host some, and actually four times, counting Nova. But I've, it's it's been a vastly different list every time. This is probably the closest to one of them that I ran in January at the Arizona GT. Okay. But... I even, at Nova, I ran a Brass Scorpion in this army. So that was an interest. 
it, it was really good at killing Death Stars. I really <laughs> like Brass Scorpion. <laughs> now, the so way we go ahead. deserted state. Go ahead. The, the way you played the Brass Scorpion, did you did you kind of just keep it in the back and wait for your opponent to come at you if you ran a Death Star and then just tie them up with zombies and then get the like Brass Scorpion like a little toe into the combat so it could stomp things? Nope. He was super aggressive. I'd put a grim on him. And then I'd send him in, and he has a 3d6 charge. Most people don't realize that, so he's got a pretty good threat range. That if you have a fate with a reroll to make sure he makes it, Ooh. it can be really, uh, really brutal. Yeah, that's really good. He also he already moves 12 inches. He already ignores all the terrain, so he can just move pretty much anywhere you need him to. Um, and his shooting is also really good too. Uh, he has a demolisher cannon in the front, the the little tail Force thing. cover, strength 10 AP2, and yeah. then a. Uh, Top gun that's ten shot strength six AP three and then that's two brilliant. flamers. Oh, so the flamers the flamers are what you need if you want to charge something else on the side. Uh, if you want to, but the brass scorpions are really good. Um, they're they're really cool, especially if you grimoire them. Uh, why didn't you run like a a demon knight or a brass scorpion here at the LVO? So there's a there's a good number of reasons. The ability to block those units has gotten easier and easier as the year has gone on. So I think knights are actually falling off. I, I have a beautiful, beautiful Chaos Knight uh, painted by a buddy of mine, uh, Paul Jacob <laughs> Puck, up uh, up with the Frozen North crew. And uh, he painted it up. It looks amazing, but I, I'm trying to figure out a way to get it back in there. Somebody could put a Screamer unit in front of it, and I'm locked for a turn or two. And then I go through the blues, and then I'll have to go through the brims. Meanwhile, he's not earning his points back. So okay. the ability to block those units and or lock them up has just gotten too easy late. Okay. So at the LVO, tell me about your first, your day one. How did you feel at the end of day one? You were 3-0. and um, Obviously, this was one of the last events you would play. You would get to play it before m moving away for deployment. Um, so... You, and I, I think also you were also on a bit of a steamroll. You were really hot going into the LBO. Um, so you, in my opinion, you were clearly one of the favorites to make the top eight. Um, so what was your what was your mentality after day one going 3-0? and All right. So going in, I knew if I made the top eight and Matt didn't make the top eight, I know. We heard him down here too. <laughs> my wife just gave me the look. All right. Uh, sorry. So I knew going into the event that if Matt didn't make the top eight and I did, I would. I had a very good shot at winning ITC as a whole. So kind of took this list in knowing that I needed to win out. I mean, I felt pretty good about just about any matchup. I didn't like seeing a Barkstar game one. <laughs> That's that, was my, that was my first intro and I hadn't played since the Arizona GT because I, I just really don't get much time to play. So, do you want me to go through uh, game game breakdowns? I can uh, do that. You can if you want. Um, I think just a kind of general game breakdown, like uh, who you played. So, so game one, you played a Barkstar. Was it like a Brandon Grant Barkstar with a battle company, or was it a full-blown, you know, so, 40, 50 model, suit all the psychic powers Barkstar? It was a – so game one, a fellow from Hawaii, and I'm not – I'm terrible with names, so I just won't name the names. Fair but, enough. Uh, Barkstar, full-on Barkstar. He had the Conclave. He got re-rolls, re-roll the uh, saves, everything. 
and I rolled for plus one to seize, seized on him, and sniped Azrael out turn one with artillery. Oh, that's game. That's pretty bad. My Earthshaker. He, uh, we called it there. That game ended in before he played his first turn. Yeah, that's that's brutal. So for those of you who don't know, uh, traditionally now, Bark Stars are run with about 40 Fenrisian Wolves, a shit ton of them. Um, and then Azrael, Dark Angels, the Dark Angels Chapter Master, gives them all a 4-plus invuln save. Uh, so you shove that down your opponent's throat, and you basically tie them up and kill them where you want them to, and you take over the board that way. Maybe you can summon demons to take some backfield objectives. Uh, you definitely have the ability to kill pretty much anything, and it's a brutal board control list, and when you lose Azrael like that, turn one to a barrage instant death, especially against an army like Brett's, where you already have a tough time moving up the board, you're getting shot and blown up, it's it's going to be hard. So so I could easily see, that I would also call that after turn one, especially because Brett has the ability to deny psychic powers, because he has so many warp dice. Um, so you're not gonna, you're going to guaranteed maybe get two powers off, uh, maybe one, Brett's probably going to deny one. He's going to throw all his dice at one. Uh, it's just it's just a bad bad news. So, uh, so to, what about game two? So game two, we moved on. It was relic. I was playing against a uh, Tal Eldar mix. Okay. With so he had Eldar with a uh, Forge the Forge World Wraith Knight, and obviously a Riptide Wing because that's an auto for every Eldar list these days. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he deployed everything to try to seize on me and did not seize. Oh. I was able to go up. Yep, I was able to go up, take the relic, and kill off his warlord. I think I killed both Varsiers, two units of jet bikes, oh. and basically he didn't have much left. And I had already started moving the relic back towards my side of the board, and he tried to charge me with the Wraith Knight turn one with the eight minutes move that they gave him, but. He failed that charge, and then he he conceded after one because he figured it was just a losing battle at that point. Um, yeah. Now, now here's here's the thing about this. Here's a quick tactic, guys. I see it all the time, and it's actually a big mistake. Uh, first off, unless you're absolutely 100% desperate, don't play to seize. Um, don't set up to seize. Don't win at all costs. For example, there was a, a game at the LVO in round six between two guys I know very well, and one guy set up his army so he had he i think he had a five plus to seize and he set up his army on the board on the line with all the characters basically in a position to get shot off the board and then the other guy did the same because he won the role to go first and they knew that whoever would go first went first would win so basically the guy said okay i'm gonna roll if i don't seize it's game over right and the other guy was like i guess and so the guy rolls rolls a two and then concedes to his opponent and afterwards i was like Dude, why didn't you just what you know? You have enough models. You know this is this is crusade. You know you could just deny him first blood and maybe try and get first blood if you can. Uh, your space marines, you can null deploy. Like why didn't like why did you? I don't understand. And he's like, oh, I was just tired. Like then, by the way, this is a guy who was five and zero, oh, or four four and one, or four zero oh and one. He was he wasn't. This wasn't a bottom table. Who cares? Let's go get drunk. These were two guys like playing competing for the best of in their factions uh anyways long story short try not to play for seizing unless you're extremely 100 percent desperate but honestly unless it's like a tournament game where you need to win if it's like a practice game don't do it like just just restart the game you know 
or or something or go back and rebuild your list <laughs> this table uh, this table you speak of was right next to us and we looked over we were confused as hell because like right. did they just end yeah <laughs> these are they, they were anyways um you guys can uh, on the obverse on the opposite side definitely play you it's okay to play and expect the seize from your opponent if you have first turn and you know you can alpha strike your opponent off the board, but you know that if your opponent seizes on you, you lose, and you don't want to leave it up to a one in six chance, and you know you have a good chance of winning anyways by going first, then you don't need to stick your neck out there, and you don't need to take that risk. Um, it's perfectly okay to cons play a little bit more conservatively. Um, there's also balance, because sometimes playing too conservatively might cost you something like first strike or first blood, uh, where you don't put enough units in a position to kill your opponent's units, and so you lose that critical kill a unit with a maelstrom objective or, or whatever have you. Um, so there is a balance there. You always want to put yourself, uh, the way I see first and second turns is you always want to put yourself in a position to maximize the amount of points while giving your opponent as little as possible. Um, because your opponent has most of their units on the board, so they will have their highest potential scoring potential in the first two turns. Um, so you want to maximize your scoring potential while giving your opponent as little as possible. Um, those are that's just the way I play. And then obviously, as the game goes on, more units die, uh, which means you can you can kind of look at scoring potential and look at your opponent's scoring potential. Um, but anyways, back to round two. So round two, your opponent did not seize and lost, understandably. Um, what about round three? All right. So round three was against Andrew Gagno, and he was running Tau. Sorry, he's, he, I know him because he's team captain. We're ETC together. Um, Ooh, don't know if I was supposed to say that. All right, anyways. He ran Tau, Riptide Wing, the Piranha Formation, and Renegades Artillery. So <laughs> a lot going on over there, and all of it's really, really, really um, maximized, min-maxing. So it's, it's a very resilient list, and we, we plot a pretty close game. I... Uh, I got the early hits on his artillery, managed to get him pinned. I used the, the quad mortars were really key in this that match. But uh, ended up in the end, we uh, we met met in the center and drawed. It was a uh, hard fought game though. So so you so here you are at the end of day one, and you're two zero and one. And yes, with the amount of players, uh, not a single person made the top eight with a loss. First off. Um, so that's, uh, but to be fair, the, all of the people who didn't lose a single game made the top eight. Um, so there were eight players who finished five, zero and one or better at Delvio and all of them made the top eight, which is, which is kind of cool. Um, but at this point, you know, that if you lose, you're out hands. Yes. Um, so w explain your mentality going to day two and how you, you know, you're in Vegas. Uh, I know a lot of people last year, you know, they went out, they partied, they had fun with their friends. Because um, it's Vegas, and just tell me about that mentality of staying on track and getting those three wins at the end of the day or at the end of day two. Because honestly, day two is already hard. It's always harder than day one. Um, you obviously you had a rough round three game against Andrew Gagno, who's a phenomenal player. Um, so just tell me about that, keeping that mentality and keeping that focus. So as you said, like everybody that didn't lose made it, but there were, there was a situation where you could actually have people not make it because there was more ties than there normally are. Yeah. So that that's what allowed those people to get in. So I actually didn't just have to win out on day two. I actually had to do almost max points on day two to keep, keep where I was at. That's true. 
So I, had, I wasn't just winning. I was worried, but I was like, all right, I got I to find a way to get every point I can as I'm playing through these games. So that added a little more stress to it. But uh, <laughs> got to play the cards you're dealt. So, okay. Um, I'll move on to round four, I guess. Round four, I drew a list I didn't really want to play because uh, it was uh -oh. kind of one of my weaknesses. Uh -oh. I drew Magnus and an oh. uh, Flying Monster Creature spam. So they had Fate Weaver, Magnus, maybe they had Bellacore in there too, a Lord of Change, and then a uh, few units of Obsec, but main thing was he could fly around and there's not much I could do about it because not much of my list. See, people don't realize those Ripper Laser Destroyers are nice, but they're ordnance. They cannot snap fire. Oh, no. So I can't touch I can't touch the air with them. So the only thing that could literally hit them in the air was Fate Weaver and the Screamers if I could power off a battle. So I did not want to see that matchup. So how did you pull <laughs> it out? How did you pull out the win? Well, I've developed a way to kill Magnus earlier before I ever showed up to the event. I was going to mask him, send a unit of zombies at him, and then throw... I was going to send a unit of zombies at him to lock him up if I needed to. But in this case, I summoned a bloodthirster. <laughs> and I threw, I threw a de-thirster at him and smashed his head. Um, so for those of you who don't know that, know that little trick, Brett actually taught me that little trick. Um, what you do is you take the Slanesh character, Demon Herald, the mask, and then she uses her dance, uh, which basically means... I, I, I don't know the range exactly, Brett. You're going to have to help me out. But basically... There you go. So she does like a little dance thing, uh, and then all units within 12 inches, or it's, maybe it's all enemy units, I don't know. Um, but Just basically... You select, yeah. Uh, they can't... Or you select a unit within 12 inches. They can't move more than 3 inches. D3, so it can be one. <laughs> right. So they can't move more than D3 inches on their next turn. And I believe that's in the movement, shooting, and assault phase. Yes. Yeah. So what what happens is is Magnus can't fly because he has... When you fly and you're in swooping mode, you have to move a minimum of 12 inches or 24 inches. I think it's a minimum of 12 inches. Brett, you play Flying Monsters Creatures. It is? Okay, cool. Max <laughs> um, 24. There you go. Um, so you have to go on the ground with Magnus, and you have to move that inch or three inches or whatever you need to. So what Brett does is he can either deep strike the mask. Um, some people put her in a bunker with an escape hatch. Um, you can run her up there, uh, but that that's a little riskier because she'll get shot and killed. And once you get Magnus within that 12 inches, you just dance him. He falls to the ground. You charge him with zombies. In Brett's case, it sounds like he tar pitted him with zombies and then just charged a D-thurster into his face. And killed him. Which you're probably screaming right now, like, why didn't he use force? He did. I used Grimoire on this D-Thurster. Used yeah. a Fate would reroll to keep him alive. And then hit him with my D-Thurst. Yeah, it's it's hard <laughs> to it's hard to lose a D-Thurster to Magnus with force um, when he has a two-up in bull. Or a three-up in bull. I, yeah. I think it's a two-up in bull. Or three-up. Brett, help me out here. Cursed Earth? Yeah. Did you have Cursed Up? Cursed Earth I did not have Cursed Up, so you got a three. So uh, I didn't get a three up. Uh, either way, um, it was a brilliant play. And even if the Deathurster did die, you would still have been able to shoot Magnus. Um, you would have been able to tar pit him with Plague Zombies. You could have summoned more Demonettes and more Demons to keep him there even longer. Uh, and in the meantime, you're, you have a massive army 
you, you have a ton of models. So you're scoring objectives. You're killing other things that your opponent throws out there. Um, so brilliant play on Brett's part. And I think the the mask is a cool way to deal with Magnus the Red and other flyers if you if you have trouble with them. Uh, now here's another thing. Does it say non-vehicle on the mask stance? Yes, it's non-vehicle. So you, you can't like oh your buddy's fire raptor is dead now. <laughs> no, it would have been hilarious though. Pilot just gets caught looking at the ground, seeing that elegant dance down there. I mean, make it rain. Start throwing the bills. Sorry. Make it rain. Sorry. <laughs> um, but anyways, so so that was round four. So you managed to beat your matchup, uh, your worst matchup, with a little bit of tech on your end. What about round five? Round five. So this was a highly coveted list. This is the one you wanted me to lose. It was against the Mastodon with the. Oh wolf. yeah. Oh. All right, go ahead. Wolf and scouts. This one, I uh, he backed up some. I think he's giving my uh, rapiers a little respectable distance, so I had to go to him. I uh, moved the screamers up the field, and he decided to throw everything he had at him. He actually dis- moved up, disembarked, because at this point I had already done, I think, what was it, six whole points on the Mastodon, courtesy of Fate Weaver and some mm-hmm. other uh, shooting. So he, he made the play to go for me. I actually managed to hold, surprisingly, when three, what was it, one, two, yeah, I think three units of Wolfen, and then another unit hit the Screamer Star, had that two plus. That was a little bit stressful because a lot of those were instant death wounds. So I managed to hold them up, and then also I summoned another Deathurster in this game and sent it in to start chopping up some Wolfen. <laughs> in the end, he actually killed the Screamer Star, but I have the Warden's Tyrant, so as soon as they broke out, five of them broke out and started heading for my lines, but uh, Artillery Courage took them out. Yeah, so for for those of you who don't know the story, real 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 quick, um, Don Hooson, who is actually running the TO for an event that Brett and I are going to be teammates in uh, in March, which we'll talk about that a little bit in later podcasts. Um, basically, has a list where he has a beautifully painted Minotaur's Mastodon, which is a Forge World super heavy vehicle, looks amazing, and he stuffs it full of Wolfen and then shoves it in your opponent's throat. And up to this point. Don had gone either 4-0-1 or 4-0 uh, or 3-0-1. Basically, he, he hadn't lost a game, and he'd beaten someone who he shouldn't have beaten, but he beat him, and I wanted the Mastodon to make the top eight. So that was a belief. Um, so I asked Brett very politely if he could fold, lose to Don, so Don would could make it to the top eight. Um, Brett, being the competitor he is, rolled his eyes and shook me off and then proceeded to beat Don, uh, which is, I was joking. It's understandable. I obviously didn't I actually, expect him to. <laughs> I actually gave you an evil grin instead. Yeah, of, I think uh, you did, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, okay, so that was round five, right? And then talk, tell me about the last round. Because that's traditionally round six is the hardest round. Uh, you round usually, six. Yeah. White Scar Battle Company... And he had a a uh, he had a uh, what's it called a Liberius Conclave. So he decides to outflank most of his army, deploys his command squad with Khan and the Librarians. And this one's actually a tough matchup. I, uh, outflanking is actually terrifying because I made mistakes in deployment because we're deploying to corners. And as I explained already on the competitive 40k page, one of the best ways to kill artillery is to tank shock artillery. Yep. Absolutely. So, yeah, so most people don't realize that in Battle Company, all you gotta do turn one, just move max distance, pop smoke. Um, give away some trade secrets here. Right. 
So I have to defend my board edge because I know when they're coming, I have to be able to stop them. So I actually have my screamer star camping my board edge. I actually summon two units of screamers to join them to basically bubble wrap my board edge. <laughs> yeah, you get where I'm going with this. Right. He actually brings in he brings in two units to flank me there. Uh, the first one I use a bite attack, stop him, Armor kill him You death or glory. Death or glory, immobilized, they're dead. And the second one, I had to use a, I did it again, and Armor Bane punched him. I had to use a favorite reroll to punch him, and then exploded off the board. Killed them too. I killed a Devastator and a regular unit. I felt dirty, but I mean, you know, it's it's a free transport. With the you know, don't don't feel too bad. Um, but that's actually a smart tactic. Uh, renegade artillery do have uh, artillery in general do have a hard time dealing with out, uh, outflanking tanks tank shocking uh, I know I have personally tank shocked warlords uh, um, I think I killed fate weaver once uh, I've definitely killed lots of guys and got myself in position to wins I've also held them up on relic games and games with king of the hill and just kind of like here deal with this five man tactical squad who's contesting your home objective uh, while I take the relic or while I take the middle of the board. Um, so it, it can be very, very troublesome for artillery lists. And I think, Brett, I think you handled it really well. Um, but one more thing that I found out recently that the judges rule at Delvio that makes perfect sense now is Earthshaker artillery. Earthshaker artillery have a special rule that means they cannot move ever, no, no matter what. They just they can't move. They're heavy artillery or something. The guys can't move them. Uh, when the guys run away, the artillery left there and gone. And so previously, when I tank sh when I played with Reese and when I played with people who ran them, when I tank shocked them, I just wouldn't be able to tank shock them. It just, I just you know couldn't. Um, but now with the new storm surge doubling down or uh, basically anchoring down, if you tank shock the storm surge and anchors down because of the GWFAQ, it's dead. It's gone. Uh, same thing on the Earthshakers. So if you can even take like a a small snip, little teeny bit of the Earthshaker battery when you tank shock it, it's dead. So battle company players, guys with tanks. That's kind of an interesting little thing there. Uh, and then, obviously, Brett, obviously at that point, you're you you know you're dealing with a battle company that's that you can easily kill, and then your Screamer Star, I imagine, can match his Death Star point for point. Oh, I was already hitting him. I killed the Apothecary turn one with oh, no. the sniping. Yeah, basically, all of my artillery is designed to snipe characters. Like... I'll kill other stuff. That's nice, but they're designed to snipe out those characters that are going to keep a star going. Okay. Uh, so, so you so you win that game. Uh, now, tell me about the top eight uh, and making the top eight because uh, making the top eight in an event like the LVO is something very few people have done. So, just like kind of walk through it. You know, it tell tell me a little about your games. Were the games? Did you feel like the games were more competitive in the top eight of the LVO? Or did you did you feel like they were just normal games, and, and you know, like was it cool? Were you excited? The only army <laughs> I was worried about in the top eight, not not just conceded, just the army that matches up well against mine was the Tau army. I see, which you and pulled actually quarterfinals. Um, and I agree that the Tau army, especially Will Will's Tau army, it it's designed to kind of counter the meta. He has a lot of anti-air, uh, a lot of shooting, and he plays it really well. Uh, so so tell me about that matchup a, a little bit, because I know there was there was covered on the Facebook live stream a little bit, um, but there was a point when your Screamer Star was 
next to basically on in his edge i imagine to deny him a point or or something right next to the storm surge and when i left the game it looked like the storm surge was going to charge a screamer star after blowing its load on everything else and then stomp it out so yes. so which obviously did not happen but that was will's intent will's intent was to stomp out a, stomp out the screamer star and basically win the game there um so tell me a little about that because the first two turns in that game were very important Yes, so uh, starting off this game, it, uh, he got first turn, but I had the plus one to seize because he got a load of war and all that good good stuff right there. So I actually I actually put, put all the chips on the table. I went all in and tried to seize. I rolled that five plus and seized on him. Okay. And then I proceeded to enfeeble his storm surge to try to instant death him with a D shot from Fate Weaver. Got the power off and everything, and then I rolled a one. Used Fate Weaver's reroll and rolled another one. <laughs> and then I uh, kind of sat there for a second, dumbstruck. <laughs> I was like, "Well, shit." All right, sorry, I didn't mean to curse. That's fine. Uh, so I, I basically kill anything that can possibly kill Fate Weaver next turn because he's he's going to be hurting. Because I also perils at that time, and oh. then I moved I moved over the screamers to get a maelstrom point of being in his. his in his deployment zone. Mm-hmm. So when he came over to tar- Chargers with Storm Surge, he was only toughness five. So I, I did bite on him, and all I need is fours. So I was actually able to kill his Storm Surge in the course of two turns. Okay. By the bottom, bottom, bottom of turn two, his Storm Surge was dead. Uh, so so do you think that maybe Will could have played that a little differently? Because um, it, it sounds like... Because I do remember your turn one was... was uh, What's what's a good word to put it? Not disheartening. Uh, well, very disappointing. 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 Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember. I remember seeing. I remember you seizing, and I do remember coming back to your game and seeing most of Will's stuff on the board, and that screamer star there getting ready to be charged. So I actually had already written Brett off at this point. Uh, sorry, Brett. Um, but. <laughs> But I had already written Brett off at this point. So tell me, walk me through Will's turn one shooting phase, and then walk me through your counter turn two shooting phase. Um, because at the end of the game, you had hands down won that game, um, which is a yes. big turnaround. So, so just tell me about that turnaround then. Okay, so let's go turn one shooting. I destroyed one of his Sky, sky Ray missile launchers. Yeah. Because I had to get rid of that. On his turn one, he targeted Fate Weaver with uh, storm surge, but he only had a couple things that can go at him, and I actually uh, jinked, and I managed to keep Fate Weaver alive. Surprisingly, I, I really expected to lose Fate Weaver on this turn. Had he killed Fate Weaver, it probably would have changed the outcome of the game. Uh, it, w- it would have been a lot closer, but I was able to keep Fate Weaver alive with two wounds left, and his he popped all six of his missiles on the left flank to try to shoot at my Wyvern in the center. Because the wyverns are what killed most of his drones, his markerlite drones. Mm-hmm. So that was that was crucial there. And also he pushed a riptide up the middle. I'm I think he was trying to pressure me, but one of his riptides pushed to the center of the board. And so on the top of my turn two, I actually or yeah my my turn two, I moved up and charged that riptide with zombies to lock that riptide up. Oh, I see. And since his stormtrooper was locked in combat, I dropped the earth shakers on the storm surge to actually do a wound or two to help my uh, screamers out in that turn as well. Cause Fate Weaver was able to enfeeble him again. Okay. So 
basically I was able to lock up the right, I was able to take out everything on the right flank and lock up one of his storm. So after that, he only had really two units that could hurt me. And that was the uh, two remaining out of combat riptides. Okay. So from there, it was just a, it was just, a, once I killed off the last of his opsec, he, was, he literally couldn't win the game. Okay. So, so good on you. So tell me about round two. So the semifinals. You played uh, Matt Root, the eventual ITC champion. And uh, Matt sure. Root is a phenomenal player. You did play Matt Root, right? I'm not, I'm not yes. crazy. Yes, I wish I, wish I would have got him sooner. I was hoping to play him sooner. <laughs> right, to knock him out early. <laughs> um, so you did play Matt Root. And I actually, that was on the Twitch live stream. So guys, if you guys are wondering about that game, the entire game was on our Twitch, Frontline Gaming TV. It's it's right there in the LVO coverage. Um, but tell me briefly about how that game went. I we got first turn, which is pretty big, and I play him a couple times. I still can't recognize his units. <laughs> just to be honest, like I I just know that those ones are bad. <laughs> so so I uh, I sniped out his uh, his rest stalkers, or those are the ones that work. Either way, one of those two that he had on the board, the other one was outflanking, and then. I started killing. I basically achieved first blood there, killed them, and then did a number on his other units. Basically, he never really made it over halfway across the board. I was able to keep him away from me, keep that balance. My screamers were in the midfield, and I actually got into him turn two, but he charged with the knight to finish him off. And then that gave me a chance to. He was in range of my rapiers, and I started doing a number on his knight as well. Yeah. And the end of that. It, it got ugly fast. Yeah, it was a really brutal game. Um, I, I only stuck around for the second half of it, uh, but Matt Root's army is basically a kind of cagey, close combat war convocation army um, with a lot of rust stalkers, a lot of scouting, a lot of mobility, a lot of little tricks. And it was Vanguard, and Brett kind of just sat there, held him up in the middle of the board, and then just shot him, which is pretty much how you do it. So it was actually... Um, uh, unfortunately, I know Matt Root did the best he can, he could, and it looked like a few times that he would actually have a potential to steal it. Um, but it was a it was a very brutal game, um, and I actually lied. That game's not on Twitch. That game is on Facebook Live. Because uh, I was I was the one covering it. The Twitch game was actually Brandon Grant and Dan Platt. Um, so, anyways, there's so much coverage going on here. It's it's hard to get everything all all you know in one bag. And then finally, last but not least. Uh, Brandon Grant, who was a grudge match because he actually played you, I think, at the top table at the Renegade Open last year, or at the month previously in Arizona, the GT we were referring back to, uh, and he beat you. Yes. Um, so this is a little did. bit of a grudge match. Go ahead. So, yeah, that game was actually kind of an ugly game. Uh, we buried that hatchet early on. We, like, I, I apologized up front. I mean, I would, my conduct was not where it should have been. Okay. And uh, we both kind of buried that hatchet early in. We had a pretty enjoyable final table. It was actually one of the few final tables you'd actually see both players actually working together, you know, no issues going to the game. Yeah, and it was really close, too. It came down to pretty much just first blood, um, which is which I think is a double-edged sword. Uh, I personally don't like first blood and liked the fact that the ITC shifted from first blood to first strike for a lot of its missions. Um, but this one was more traditional first blood, first, first blood, linebreaker, warlord, uh, crusade. It's uh, ITC mission six. Um, so basically, th this game is on Twitch, and uh, Brett can shine a little bit of light on this. It it came down to Brett getting first blood, 
um, which I don't think Brandon was going to take away from him, even if Brandon had gone first. And it, then it came down to Brandon having to deny Brett Linebreaker or kill his Warlord, and then at the same time achieve Linebreaker and get the Warlord. Uh, because I think Brett pulled up early in Maelstrom, or Brandon, one of you guys pulled up ahead in Maelstrom, and then Brandon... I had, had three, three to one on Maelstrom really early. So, so you, so you did pull. So, so, um, so basically, it, it came down to Brandon either w- having to win Maelstrom and Primary, um, which is really hard to do, or uh, and is that what actually happened. Uh, Brandon had to play well for Crusade, deny Brett Linebreaker, and get Warlord, and deny Brett Warlord, and um, also get Linebreaker himself, um, which he actually very nearly did. And so tell me about how close that game was. So after I after I knew I got first blood, I got that locked in, um, I knew he wasn't going to be able to deny Linebreaker. So at that point, I just went straight for Maelstrom. I, I stopped going for the objectives because I didn't want to get myself in a corner. Mm-hmm. And I was already ahead on Maelstrom. And I knew I could probably score Maelstrom just about every turn. So at that point, I just drove towards that one because I knew it was just a win the points didn't really matter at this point. It was just a win-loss. And so I, that's that's how I carried that game further. And I knew if his dogs came in and I was able to lock him up with the Screamers, it was pretty much a wrap. So that's that's how I approached the, that game. As soon as I locked up his dogs, I think I think the game was a, a foregone conclusion unless he could break out. And that's why he rolled all the way through and see if he could break through. But I, those casino dice went hot when they did. And I was able to keep him locked in there, so... It was, it was a good game, and uh, I'd, I'd like to see how it would have happened if he had gone first. I know that, or if he had mishapped when he brought in his Dreadnought, because I know he tried to come in to get first blood on his turn, because he'd only deployed and brought in those three drop, or two drop shots to, tr- to attempt first blood, and he uh, mishapped, and I put him in the corner over there, still within range, so I could kill him, but that was a uh, that was a big for him. I mean, even if even if his drop pods had come down, I think it would have been extremely hard for him to get first blood. Um, you know, your your list is three drop pods isn't enough to get first blood against Brett's list, uh, unless you get really lucky, um, or unless Brett gives you his wyverns, um, which I don't know. I imagine you didn't do that, but uh, they were on the sky shield. Yeah. Uh, so so they would be hard to get to. Um, but that's that's basically the game appears to have been won with first blood at first glance but it was actually a bunch of clever deployment tactics and counter deployment tactics and null de- null deployed to tactics uh on brandon and brett's part so it was actually the whole game was extremely interesting and i do suggest you guys watch it on twitch it was a really entertaining game um so anyways so that's it that was that was uh brett's lvo experience brett is there any last minute last things you want to say about the lvo before we move on to the main topic it's a, it was a good event. I liked it. It was one of the top top events I've been to. I recommend anybody out there that really uh, really wants to get a good event in. There's a lot of good crowds out there. At, you can't go wrong with Vegas. So if you're out there and you're on the fence, I'd, uh, I'd go to LBO. It's definitely worth it. All right. So, guys, we're going to return right back after a word from the guys uh, from the Life After the Cover Save podcast. If you've never checked them out, check them out. They are hilarious. Uh, Blake and Ed are super funny guys uh, it is definitely not a children's podcast um there are some there's some foul language sometimes um but it's definitely worth it the life after the cover save and this is it 
Yo, get off the computer. I need to check eBay. I got an auction ending soon. Wait, what are you doing on the computer? I'm just buying some minis online. Are you saving money? Nah, dude, saving clicks. Time is money, right? Hey, what the heck was that for? Dude, you gotta buy from Frontline Gaming. They offer savings on minis every single day and up to 25% off Games Workshop stuff. Whoa, that's better than saving clicks. With all that savings, I can take a few days off of work so I can paint these minis. Ow! You gotta stop that. It hurts. You know what hurts? Spending three weeks base coning models. Save yourself some pain and get them painted by Frontline Gaming's painting studio. You know what? You've got all the answers. That's why I'm glad you're my best friend. I don't know what I'd do without you. I could never hurt you. What are you looking up on eBay? I'm uh, selling a bunch of old models. Don't really use them anymore. Why aren't you going through Frontline Gaming's secondhand store? You can get money or store credit. I think you broke my nose. I don't like your tone, mister. So I'm just going to say this. Head over to FrontlineGaming.org for more details. And we're back. Okay, guys, on to the main topic. I know the LVO talk drowned on a little bit, but I think it's also something that I've wanted, been meaning to talk about with Brett uh, because I just wanted to get his experience. And we've never, I've never actually had a top eight LVO or a winner of the LVO on this podcast, uh, mostly because this podcast hasn't been around for two LVOs. Um, but uh, I, I kind of want to make it a tradition. Hopefully future LVO winners can get on this podcast and we make it like a regular thing. Um, so basically... I'll be sure to clear my schedule next year. <laughs> just kidding i can't go <laughs> the first the first repeat winner i i hope you do i hope you can i know i know it's rough for you man but I, i'd hope you i hope you could make it out that'd be real cool um but anyways on to the main topic uh, one thing that brett and i did not talk about when we were talking about the lvo and we kind of glossed over a little bit uh was clock and clock management time management and games not finishing to a natural conclusion um now, I think it's safe to say that through nine rounds in this format, the way 40, the game of 40K is now, it would be, especially with Brett's, uh, just Brett's list and the fact that there's so many models and so many rules and so much shooting, that it would be impossible for to assume that Brett would finish all nine of his games on time. Is that fair to say, Brett? Like, at least... Yeah, there, was, there, there was one. There was one that the uh, one against Ganyo was the only one that didn't come to like an actual natural conclusion where we we knew the results of the game. Right, which which is actually really good. Um, and Brett, at first I always thought, and and I'm gonna, I'm going to be a little. This is real talk here, um, because I haven't known Brett as as well as I've known him for a long time. Um, but I actually thought Brett was a bit of a slow player when I first met him. Um, not like slow like he cheats, uh, because I know for a fact Brett doesn't cheat. Um, but the slow is in he's always seemed like a very meticulous you, you know uh meticulous kind of by the book player who who's just you know takes everything calm and and plays at their own pace uh and that's actually not the case brett in his own way plays extremely fast uh and then when he wants to when he needs to think he takes the time to sit down and play which is actually think how you should play quickly um so brett tell me about playing the renegade list as quickly as you can and what you do to make sure your games end on time okay so you have to be always moving always know what you're going to do have your have your targets already prioritized like what do you need while your opponent's moving already understand which targets you need to kill and why you need to kill them 
what they need to, this is also a tactics little thing here. Also understand why they're there, why are they going there? So that's one thing I'm always, you know, putting, all right, I'm going to hit that with two quad motors. I am already know I'm going to do that. I'm going to come to that. And then target priority is just really, really key. And then target allocation. Sorry, I'm getting into tactical stuff a lot, but it, it matters because the biggest thing that'll slow you down is those tactical decisions. Mm -hmm. I literally had sure. an opponent at LVO. This is, this is not, I'm not naming an opponent, but stood there and stared at the board for 10 minutes pre-deployment. Because they were, they were trying to figure out how they wanted to deploy against my army. So just, just know what you want to do going into a game, and it'll make it that much easier. Don't be afraid to look at the mission packet and know exactly what you need to do to win the game. And that way you can start actioning on that through the course of the game. So basically think ahead. Also, uh, one thing I do is that any sort of rules that might be brought up, like ones that are like, you know, kind of iffy or something that could become a hot topic during a game, I print those rules off or for quick reference. And I also have my books with me, but I have like actual printed rules so you can see quick reference. This is it where I can open up and show you. Right. And that's actually smart. I do that a lot for, especially if like Forge World ones, because you just got such big books, you're going to flip through all the way to get to it. I'll print it off for you and I'll show it to you. And then any sort of thing that's going to be kind of on the fence where the ruling is, you know, you don't know which way you go, build, you want to hit the TO up early to make sure you have a direct ruling for that before you ever get to the event, because it'll stop a game dead cold. And then you have to run around looking for a judge, and there's only going to be like five or six judges for an entire event. And what was 438 at LVO? Uh, a lot. 438 yes. sounds about right. <laughs> uh, and only six judges. And those judges did a phenomenal job. Um, but we we had one of the larger judging staffs of the year. And I know this for a fact because I covered all the events. And, and I kind of got an idea of how many people attended the events and how many judges were there. And six was nowhere near enough. I mean, if you look at uh, competitive games like Magic the Gathering and chess oh maybe not chess uh but ma specifically magic the gathering they have judges they have tons of judges they have a judge system they they you know wizards of the coast has an established reward system for judges to make sure they have enough judges at their events um so it, brett's 100 percent correct getting a judge getting a judge ruling at a large event like delvio like adepticon like nova the nova open is actually kind of difficult um so a lot of times you do want to do your homework and to speed up the games, your future games, and just ask judges beforehand. It's the best thing. Email, Facebook, phone conversation, although that's probably less hard, easy to prove. Um, just yes. all that stuff. If you can, try to be, try to get into an FA, FAQ. For example, the Facebook FAQ rulings that they had. That was really good at LVO to have that. Uh -huh. So you could go in and get the question, and it's not something you just, you're, you're privy to. It's everybody saw that answer. Right, and... So that's, and yeah, exactly. Also, I'd like to say the judges at LVO were... I'm sorry. I'm sorry for Adepticon Nova. Uh, LVO judges were the best ones I've ever had. So <laughs> I, they were clear, concise. Like, they, they had good knowledge. Like uh, Respect for the judges out there. You guys did a good job. Oh, they worked hard. Uh, they deserve it. Um, so, so, yeah, know your rules. Uh, anything else, Brett? Uh, yes, if you're playing Demons and you don't have a reference sheet that is easy to read for you and your opponent, you're wrong. <laughs> it's just going to slow your game down. It's going to slow True. your game down. I always bring a Fate Weaver quick sheet 
it has, and I believe Frontline has this posted up on their site, believe it or not. And it has which powers, which head, because you have to declare which head you're using. Uh-huh. <laughs> Nobody does it. No. Um, <laughs> and then you could just roll and write it down, roll, write it down, roll, write it down. And it has all the disease powers re- represented on there already. It's quick and easy. So things like that will really speed up a game. Uh, another thing that I find, because I also run a time-intensive army, a 30 warp spiders who move in every single phase, and they even move after the game is over and before the game is over. Um, they move into your friend's basement. They move into your mom's house. Uh, they move into your lanes on the freeway. Warp spiders, they, anyways, they're, they're always moving, um, which which naturally means a lot of dice rolls, a lot of measuring, a lot of thinking about where I'm going to move them. And then I also run a battle company. A lot of models, a lot of shooting, a lot of moving, uh, a lot of deploying. Um, so it can get pretty rough on my turns too. So what I like to do is I like I have a system that I put my models away. And when a model dies, I put it back into the foam. And on top of that, if let's say, for example, I have 10 rhinos on the board and one unit of rhinos gets blown up and the tactical marine tactical marines die, I don't reach into my bag and pull five new tactical marines. I use those same tactical marines. Um, I like to joke sometimes and thinking that I could actually in a lot of games run an entire battle company with only five marines because all of my rhinos have the marines inside them and i never take my marines out of the rhinos uh just just because i I feel like the rhinos are basically just a shield for the marines to get them where they want right and then they're razorbacks too so so they're just shooting 36 inches away um they're not special or anything they all do the same thing um but but and i think that's key and i do the same thing with my warp spiders is you, you always want to use the minimum amount to represent the most amount on the board. Like you, you don't want to put a dude on every single Razorback and say all of my Razorbacks are full because you're bringing out a single Space Marine for all of your Razorbacks. You just put like a marker down. Or what I like to do is I like to keep no Space Marines on my Razorbacks until the first Space Marines squad I get out gets out, and then I have to start. Then I have to start putting the Space Marines on the Razorbacks. Um, but I'm always telling my opponent like these are full, these are not full, uh, just to make everything communication. But but yeah, basically get your models, organize them in a way so you know you can look at the model and you know exactly where all the models are, and then keep them like in a foam tray, a table or case, an army builder case, whatever, however you want to do it. Um, but just make sure that models are always organized, and you can always grab models so you never have to look for anything. You know where they all are, and then when they die, you put them right back. You get ready for that next game. So to caveat on what you just said, very important thing you said right there. Um, When you put the models on top of the transports and you tell your opponent, so that making sure you have a clear representation of what's going on on the table and where everything's at with your opponent is critical. Because if your opponent expects like, oh, that one was supposed to be empty, or then you get in an argument there and it could stop a game also, or if he doesn't and he's just thinking in the back of his head, this guy's cheating or something because he doesn't understand what's going on on the table. And you start building towards a bad game, right? So and it is absolutely actually weaker. Uh, and Brett actually hit another thing that's a big problem in 40k uh, with time management is arguments. Um, I recently put on the competitive 40k Facebook page that arguing is what is ca- is what plaguing 40k right now um, with games not finishing. It's not lowering points. It's not chess chess clocks. It's not rules bloat. It's not people not knowing their armies. 
it's arguments. Arguments are by far the way what I've seen personally from my experience as covering events and looking at players play. It's our arguments are always where I see games never finishing. Um, I can go to a game and if I see two people arguing, I and I know who the people are, I I can immediately say, well, that game's gonna end on turn three, um, because those guys are gonna argue the whole time, and it's true. And it, unfortunately, it sucks. Uh, which brings me to the next way you manage your game and make sure you finish on time is social contract. Uh, the the long war guys talk about this a lot in that you should have a social contract with your opponent. Um, this is what's going to go down. This is what I expect from you. Neither of us is going to cheat. We're going to have a good time. We're going to respect each other. And we're going to argue as little as possible. And a lot of that's also just talking right before the game starts. So what I like to do to kind of make the game go smoother is I like to introduce myself, talk to my opponent, tell them, hey, is this terrain okay? And even they could be completely wrong. I, I could be playing with an ITC ruin, um, uh, you know, a company I work for, that I know we call these ITC L-shaped buildings ruins, and he could call it a hill, and I'll be like, okay, it's a hill, whatever. Well, as long as we're as long as we're communicating and we know what's up and we're on the same page, I don't care. And, and I, I expect the same thing from my opponents. And I also offer to move my opponents' models. I even say that I say I, you know, I I'm gonna move as fast as I can with my warp company. It's a slow army, but I swear to God, I will not cheat you and I will not slow play you. Um, and if you want to move my models to speed up the game, please do. I'll even let you move them four inches. I don't care. Just or, or pick a direct. Like, and a lot of times, not sweating the small stuff with your opponent and just being a lighthearted guy and trying not to argue and not sweating the small stuff, um, that can lead to an overall better game, but also speed up the game tremendously. Um, because you really don't need to argue every little thing. Um, now, there are exceptions. For example, if you know your opponent is uh, being very liberal with their movement, and they're consistently moving seven inches. Uh, you can tell them, "Hey, that's seven inches. Hey, that's because you, you." There's a balance, right? There's a balance between not between not letting your opponent do, cheat you and do the things that ruin the game for you, but also let your opponent do their own thing and not sweat the small things. Um, so there's there's a balance there, and you kind of have to find that. But once you find that opponent or find that balance and and build a rapport with your opponent, uh, games will go a lot smoother and a lot quicker. So that is about one of the only – speaking of the uh, movement piece, is about the, right. one of the only things that can get me hot during a game is, is this movement. Because I'm – it's not necessarily that I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> no, it's a I'm, a – I'm a very precise person. I was a – I'm moving away from what branch I was. I'm military, and I was uh -huh. artillery, so precision was very important. And so it was like – just for people going forward, if you're playing on an ITC flat mat, this is this is just a rule of thumb to help you out. Besides using attack templates because it'll speed up the game and make you more precise with your movements. Recommend mm -hmm. those for anybody that plays at a GT at any time. But um, the ITC flat mats are actually measured out, especially like the cityscape ones, 12, 18, 24. Like there's actually lines going across the board. Like it's so it's pretty easy. To know if you're moving too far or not, you can actually catch yourself like, oh, okay, I bring it back a little bit. Yeah. Or if you if you think you messed up a movement and it's like the first turn, check from your board edge. There's a maximum amount of move you could actually possibly have moved. Yep. And then that's just a way to self-regulate yourself. Yep. Um, because – go ahead. All right. And then uh, as for the small things, yeah, if it's – pick your battles. If you have to get in an argument with your opponent, I, I, really, I really hate any sort of – negative 
impact on the game. It makes if it's game deciding, sure. But if it's like something that doesn't matter, then yeah, don't don't even bother. Like it just you might mention it to your opponent, but you're like don't don't fight it. Like, right. And if it's game deciding, honestly, a lot of times what you can do is you can call a judge, um, or you can say, hey, like, another thing that I don't see a lot of people doing um, is you play quickly. It's most important that you play quickly to build up to those moments where you need the time. Uh, perfect example is turn one and deployment. Um, my turn ones, my deployments, they're automatic. I hopefully know what I'm doing against every single matchup, against every single opponent, where I'm deploying, what I'm putting, what what the ranges are, and I know what I'm shooting, I know what I can't kill, I know what I can kill, and that's it. So my turn ones and my deployments are always automatic. Um, and that's what I strive to. That's that's My knowledge of the game with my army is would be complete if I knew what to do against every opponent so that my turn ones and my deployments are always perfect. Uh, but the, the, those turn ones should be automatic uh, because you have the maximum amount of firepower, so they're the easiest to theory hammer. It's the same in chess. In chess, the first six or seven turns in chess, that's just you setting up your opening moves. That's you setting up your Danish gambit or your Indian's queen defense or your king's defense or whatever have you. Um, those first six or seven moves in chess are almost always automatic, which is why you see a lot of pro grandmaster players, they stop, they think about their turns, and then boom, 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 all of a sudden you're in the middle of the game. Um, and then once you get to that middle of the game, the play resources are taken away. Uh, the ch for Specifically, if you go back to the chess analogy, there are millions of options in chess when you're in the middle of the game, as opposed to the beginning of the game, where there's only a few options. There's only You can only move the pawns and the two knights, and that's it, your first turn. And then it increases exponentially from there, to the middle of the game where half of your stuff is gone, half of your opponent's stuff uh, pieces are gone, and you have all these squares to move all these models, all these potential moves, and all of your op opponent's potential moves. It's the same exact thing in 40k. Turn 3 or turn 4, you have less resources, so you have to figure out where everything's going to move, where you're going to push resources in one direction to another. Um, so that's where you want to be taking up most of your thinking time and actually most of your game time. Um, so guys, stop taking up time turn 1 and turn 2 and in deployment. Like just, just don't do it. You can take up some time in deployment if it's a matchup you're unfamiliar with, uh, but it really shouldn't be a thing that you take time in. Brett? Yeah, so if I can deploy my massive Renegade army in less than 10 minutes just on every every match, then you should be able to deploy your army in that same time, especially since Absolutely. mine's so inclusive. So like, I've almost turned mine to an art form and getting it on the table. That's also why I bring the sky shield because it's hey these units are already deployed on the sky shield. I'll just pick it up and put it right there. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> you should have uh, multiple sky shields for different matchups. Like this is my sky shield for Wolf Star. This is my sky shield for Battle <laughs> Company. This is my sky shield for Magnus. <laughs> uh, to be honest, but, against Wolf Star, I don't even need the damn thing. I was like, don't need it. Shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but that's that's all that preparation goes into the game, and then the next thing, uh about time management is uh, so I'm going to use an analogy from someone I played a while ago and it's actually a really funny analogy and I think I've already said it on the podcast but I'm going to say it again uh, one of the tournaments I went to broadside bash my opponent he was a really nice guy he had a tau army with about 10 models maybe 12 he had a drone a commander with a bunch of drones two fire warrior squads so he had more than 10 models um, and then a riptide wing 
a couple Yvaras, and a Storm Surge. So really, really low model count army uh, versus my battle company. Turn one, I went all in, moved up, uh, flanked, or scouted up, moved up, got out, and shot all my bolters and all my warp spiders at one Riptide. The one Riptide without the stim injectors. Because it was the only one in range, and I killed it. Barely. I barely killed it, but I killed it because I knew first blood was that important. Um, and then I knew that if I got first blood, I'd have to play extremely cagey and either get Warlord, which I did end up doing with Warp Spiders, and then just win Maelstrom, which I ended up doing. But the point is, is that I, if you could imagine a battle company with, I had 50 Marines out in his in his deployment zone, or not in his deployment zone, but on in the middle of the board, all hovered in rapid fire range around one dead Riptide. His Ivaras went to town and he killed 48 out of 50 Marines with two shooting attacks. Well, not two shooting attacks, but with, with most of his shooting attacks. Because 48 out of 50 Marines. So like that, I'd lost half of the models in my army. And all I had was razors and or Razorbacks and Rhinos and the Warp Spiders. Which he, he killed a bunch of Warp Spiders too. Um, so that was his turn one shooting phase. The problem is, is that as he was doing all this, all this should have been automatic. I was He could have just been like, okay, my shooting is done. Pick up all those Marines. And I would have been like, oh, okay. And I just would have shoveled them into my box. They were all they are all dead, as I was fully expecting it. Um, but he was target prioritizing wrong. He was counting out the number of hits with his Ivaras and making sure he was getting the right amount of hits and being extremely precise, measuring ranges. And I was like, dude, just kill all these Marines or kill all the Razorbacks or do something. Like it, this should be very very clear what you're gonna do. I'm basically giving you all these Marines, which was kind of my gambit, um, to to hopefully because. It basically, if he just needed to get the game to go to turn five and table me, and I was just hoping to not get tabled. Um, but, so what ended up happening is he slow played himself. Uh, the game ended on turn two. Uh, actually, ended Holy on the top crap. of on the top of three. We hit time, and I was like, "Dude, there's no way you're gonna win this. I, I'm sorry. Like, we hit time, and it's the top of my turn three. And I played quickly. And so so, anyways, just just remember that, guys. Just remember to play fast and it's very important especially for for certain certain armies where getting to the end of the game is really important um so just always bear that in mind uh if you have a lot of shooting options just be fully aware and capable of what your weapons can do and if you know you can sweep 50 marines off the board turn one in the shooting phase do it just just do it don't even don't even question yourself um you know anyways funny story so uh Moving on to other time management, clock management. Uh, another big thing is chess clocks. People like to use chess clocks, and they work. Brett, have you ever used a chess clock? We use a chess clock between me and Matt Roots at uh, our table. Actually, I played Matt twice, and we've used a chess clock both times, and it, it was it was good. We cut the uh, we cut the time even. Uh, first time I used it was at I want to say the Midwest Massacre. Uh huh. Or was it the Flying Monkey? Ooh, I don't know. The, it was Flying Monkey, Flying Monkey GT, in Wichita, Kansas. We had a uh, chess clock we used there, and I actually had an unending host, and I beat him on time. Matt, if you hear that, I'm still rubbing it in. <laughs> 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 so we used it there, but uh, yeah, that's the only two games I've used because Matt has a chess clock. I haven't, I haven't gone out and purchased one yet. Right. I will uh, say this though, using a chess clock. It does add a little extra stress to you because you're like, oh crap, crap, crap. All right, all right. You know, you're 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 thinking time too much, and you're like, it almost it almost like psychologically messes with you. 
Yes. So that's that is that is something that is definitely you'd have to practice with the chess clock if you wanted to use it for an event. I wouldn't go into an event never using a chess clock and expect to use it every round because it you probably put yourself on tilt. Oh yeah, it, that's that's actually a very very good point for those of you who are thinking about getting a chess clock. Get lots of practice games in with them because Brett's a hundred percent correct. Um, I played Blitz Chess for a little while, and what Blitz Chess is is you each have five minute turns, and that's it. You have you have five minutes on a chess clock or five minute game. Sorry, so it's it's, it's a ten minute game maximum, um, and you're playing an entire game of chess in ten minutes. So it's called Blitz. You just you move as quickly as you can. Um, it's just basically move, pop, move, pop, move, pop. Um, and a good strategy in Blitz is to just lay out like an elaborate defense and then just be faster on the clock and just to tilt out your opponent. You know, I would make weird moves as black. Like I would move my knight and give them their knight and they're like, what the hell is he doing? And the whole point was, is I was just drawing out the game and putting my opponent on tilt so they would hit time before me. Um, and it worked. It was a very viable strategy. Uh, but the point is, is that you can do that yourself with chess clocks. That's exactly what Brett's talking about. Um, and this goes back to the picking your battles and using your time wisely. Uh, you use your time, the time you need to decide a proper shooting phase um, to maybe get off a key psychic phase. If you know that you absolutely need this turn to win, you take all the time, as much time as you need, honestly. That's, that's the only time I would let my opponent think and not worry about it is if I know that they are thinking about something that's very important that's game breaking could be potentially game breaking for either of us um that is that is the only time when it's absolutely 100 percent okay to take as much time as you need um but after that once you've had all that time to think you have to go right back into motion like brett said he's always moving a brett can probably stop to think about something but as soon as he's made that decision and he's thought about it he's right back to moving all the time and business as usual um so that chess clocks can kind of keep you away from that um, building on what you just said there, the slowing down. So if you've um, if you've established it's the last turn, like in you're not going to get hard dice down. Don't be afraid to pause. Like, all right, let me just make sure I get this right because it's the last turn. It matters. It's the game right here. Don't be afraid to like if it's not if you're not going to get hard dice down. Obviously, if you're not getting like each of you get five minutes or something like that, which is a terrible situation to begin with. But uh, don't be afraid. Like, because I've done that before. Like a major GTs, I'm in the finals. And I'm like, all right. Hold on. Uh, we agreed this is our last turn. Okay, give me a second. Let me just look at the board and see what actually matters. What needs to be done for the game to be decided? Yes. Because then I do a quick a quick count. Like you, if you watch the finals at LVO, we, me and uh, me and Brandon actually did this. And are uh, towards the end of the game, like, all right, what can be, what can the outcome be? What is the outcome right now, and how can that be changed? Can it be changed? Is yes. it already a foregone conclusion? And then you move on from there. It'll save you time, and obviously, don't let somebody because there are people out there. I'm not naming names there, but that will like push you at that point. Like, hey, come on, let's get going, let's get going. And you just be like, hold on, just let me look at the board and see what I can actually do. Because you'll get rushed, and then you make a mistake, and you lose a game in that final minute when you rushed for needlessly. That, that's actually a very good point, and um, I want to expand on that. So when you hit the the 20 minute split. Um, and at any event, right? So after 20 minutes, when there's 20 minutes left in the round and you split up, so each player has 10 minutes evenly, um, a lot of times what I see happen, what I've seen happen is players lose because they went through their turn sequences and didn't get to a critical part of the game. A perfect example, um, at an event, I'm not going to name any names, I'm not going to name the event, there was a player who was running down on time. Their opponent 
wanted them to hurry up. It was perfectly fair because the opponent only needed to do a couple things and it was time time was winding down and this guy was taking a lot of the time um so their opponent was like hurry up hurry up uh the guy got rushed got flustered and then one he had a unit that was going to get him line breaker he just didn't move that unit and and he lost and that was it because he didn't get line breaker like he literally just needed to move a model you know 48 inches or 38 inches or whatever from one spot, point A to point B, to win the game. And he got everything else needed to. Um, you know, his opponent went, he did his thing. He, The guy was mad and complaining the entire time. Like, oh, I forgot to move my model, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then after it's called his opponent a jerk. And I was like, well, if you're at, in that situation, time management dictates, and I, I will let you, I will let you cheat. And what I mean by cheating is I won't let you move things um, seven inches if they can only move six, um, but I will let you skip phases to make sure that you get everything you need to get done. Uh, for example, if if I was in that opponent's if I was in that opponent's shoes, I would look at my opponent and say, "This this jet bike, this I'm not saying it was a jet bike. I'm just saying because jet bikes move freaking far. I'd be like, this jet bike is getting me line breaker. This is the bottom of the turn. There's nothing you can do about it. Okay, cool. I'm I'm turbo boosting him and moving him right now. And I'll salt jump if I have to. Oh, here's my salt jump roll. Um, this warp spider, he's over there, right? Cool, we're good. He's got line breaker. I won't even move the model. I don't even care. I'll just tell my opponent he's getting me line breaker, and then move on to the next thing. Um, and then I'll even just kind of like I'm gonna shoot them and charge them at the same time just to get that out of the way. Uh, but it, it's very important that in that final turn, you and your opponent have a social contract to finish the game as quickly as possible. Even if you have to move each other's models, even if you have to skip phases, even if you have to uh, let kind of let your opponent take back things because of uh, um, giving them the benefit of the doubt, all that stuff is important to making sure that you finish the game, which is it's dishonorable and unfair to your opponent for both of you if you don't do do your due diligence to finish the game, um, and sometimes that can mean dropping procedurals a little. What do you think, Brett? Absolutely, absolutely. Like it, it is a social contract there. And if I mean, in that game, that person knew. Like, I usually declare stuff like that too. I'll do the same thing. I was like, all right, this this model right here is going to move there. This line break. All right, good. All right, what's the next thing? All right, and then we move on to the next portion. You just you just got to quickly brief. All right, this is doing that, and there's nothing you can really do about it. And usually, your opponent will agree with you. Like, yeah, I can see that. That you're you've got that. So absolutely, I agree with you 100 percent on that one. And that's kind of a crappy situation. I feel, that, I that's a that really person. that's a really really crappy situation. Um, and unfortunately, that's some of the things that that come with these issues with time management. Uh, that's what happens. Uh, you get those kind of crappy situations. Um, TOs, like for example, the ITC us at the ITC. Even though we we put it up for a vote and it's it's 18:50, like we want we want games to finish on time. You know, everyone wants games to finish on time, but it's not happening. Um, and something needs to be done. You know, and this, this, I think this is a perfect segue into what TOs can do and what I've seen TOs do. Uh, so, CanCon and the Australians when I was talking to Scott Duvall, if you want to go to that podcast, you can click the links in the show notes to all of my past podcasts. It's the Australian podcast. Um, I, I believe it's called Australian ITC Meta or something like that. Um, but they actually have a hard, hard system where basically if you you lose battle points for not getting past turn three or turn four, 
Um, and then I think you can only have one game go past, not go past turn four, and zero games not go past turn three to get DQ'd. Um, or it's something that's really, really strict. It's like they, they, there really is no room for failure. Uh, and they have a they have a pretty good success rate. I'm sure some people have gotten DQ'd, but I imagine for the most part, if everyone knows going into the game into the tournament that games can't go slow, that came you will get DQ'd. People will play quickly. Um, now, uh, the flaw in that, the obvious flaw in that, is that people will to not get disqualified will just say their games went to turn five, which I'm sure happened at least once. They are human beings. Um, but the the point is is that. That that's a good that's a good hard nose strategy. Um, another another some another suggestion someone put out uh, that I didn't like, but a lot of people did like, was to just ban players from your event who were known to not finish games on time, um, which which opens up another can of worms entirely. Uh, I personally not a big fan of witch hunting and banning players, but I do also know some events that have just flat out banned players. Um, yes. So, so not to name any names at all, but I do know some events that have just flat out banned players, uh, and I, it works for them. So they can do that too. That's perfectly okay. Uh, I don't have to like it. And then finally, another thing that TOs can do is drop their points down themselves. Renegade Open is a perfect example of this. Last year, the Renegade Open dropped down to 1,650 points, and I actually did interview them in an episode of Chapter Tactics, and they had a 95% rate of games finishing on time, naturally. That's that's insane. So I, I don't I don't even think the LVO got that in one round. I don't know. That's really hard. I mean, there's also a lot of games being played at the LVO, but the LVO was at 1850. Uh, there were a lot of lot of armies, a lot of big model armies, um, and that that percentage is is amazing. That's that's insane. Uh, so. So TOs, you guys can do some of those things. Brett, have you seen any TOs do anything interesting to combat time management or clock so, management? One thing I've noticed is progressive missions. I don't have a solution for this right now, but progressive missions can really slow game down because you have to stop, calculate. Um, for example, Maelstrom. I'm not trying to hit the format. I love ITC format, but right. rolling three dice or Maelstrom, and you're like, hmm, which one should I pick? And then you're looking at the board, trying to decide. Some people do this automatically. As you said, like before, you already know, all right, yeah, I'm going to score this objective, score this objective. Other people, they sit there and they have to think about it. You got to think of who can do that mission, how can they how can they get it accomplished. So that's that's kind of like that hidden, hidden thing in there where some like – really experienced players like it's it's almost automatic all right, all right i'm gonna score these two objectives but others you know they got to think about it and like wonder which one they should do so not necessarily i'm just using uh the maelstrom and itc as an example there are some events that have ridiculous formats along with progressive objectives <laughs> where you're constantly bookkeeping i'm not going to name the events right but no, i have right. seen that there, there are some complicated there's some complicated event missions um and that's yes, okay. This is the best way to approach missions. You know, because keep because, it simple, stupid. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think you're right. I think that the the other thing too is, and and I don't want to discourage TOs from thinking outside the box and running more complicated missions, um, because more complicated missions sound good in theory and in even in practice too work out really well, uh, but traditionally the larger your event is and the more people that are out of town and coming into your event 
you know, it, the, the less complicated your mission should be simply because of that. Um, a lot of people who are going to attend your event, for example, the LVO, if the LVO were, if, if Reese and Frankie were to decide, okay, guys, we're moving to a completely different mission format that's never been seen before and it's complicated, none of the games would have finished on time. None. People would have been reading the, the mission format half the time, right? It would have been unfun. Um, so especially that can. Especially for those events that don't push out their missions early. Oh, yeah. Like, if they do their own missions and then like, oh, well, you'll see them when you get there. Like, oh, no. thanks. Oh. Appreciate it. And that's kind of the, the beauty of the ITC in terms of uh, make, getting everyone on the same page. With the ITC missions, all you have to do is put ITC, ITC missions in your packet. This is an ITC event. And people will understand that this is what the missions are going to see. They might not like the ITC missions, and they not might like that, but that's a completely separate issue. Um, but at least they will know what they're getting. And so when they go to their missions and when they go to to roll dice, even though there is progressive missions in the ITC, um, they at least know what they have to do or how the mission is going to go so they can focus on other important things. Um, and that's key. And I do agree, Brett. I think progressive missions are, are a little bit of a problem. I think that mission design has gone the wayside a little bit in terms of uh, large events. And on one hand, that's good because we're, we, we're all on, the majority of us are getting more and more on the same page in terms of like Nova, okay, got it. Nova scenarios, got it, cool. ITC, okay, got it. I know what ITC is. ETC, okay, cool. Um, there's very, very few tournaments now, large, especially large tournaments, that aren't running some of the bigger mission formats in the world, uh, which is cool. Uh, but on the flip side, progressive missions, I think, are dominant in all of those. Uh, I, I think Nova lets you pick your progressive missions. I think I don't think Nova has Maelstrom. Brett, help me out here. Uh, yeah, so Nova usually, they'll, they'll give you a couple of things you can achieve, and you pick those, and then you have to execute them. At least that's the last couple of years they've done that. Right. But and that's then, still, that, that's pre-game time you're using, not necessarily during the game. You still right. calculate it, but pre-game time, you're like, all right, I need to do this. Uh, which, which thing? I actually messed up. Uh, not this last year, year before when I played Aaron, I picked a I picked a bad mission because I was trying to get it hurriedly done so I could get into the game. And I actually chose the like, what was it? I think kill 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 points. I think I chose kill points against the Death Star. Oh no! <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, oh. It was something silly like that. Like I I could have just easily chose something else and been perfectly fine. But hey. right and. Yeah. And then so a lot you see this in the ITC mission format a lot too is um, when people are rushing when they look at the time and they realize that they're not going to finish on time and that might cost them the game. Uh, people also forget to roll Maelstrom. It happens all the time. Um, actually, I I played hundreds of ITC games and I still occasionally miss, forget to roll for my Maelstrom. I'll be like, oh, I forgot to roll for my Maelstrom. This sucks. Here's what I would have rolled. Here's what I would have rolled. What do we do now? Um, and then that can also slow the game down too. Uh, so basically what I think Brett and I are getting at is, you know, we're still waiting for that golden mission format that will work for 7th edition 40k that takes up as little as time as possible. Um, and hopefully someone will do that. I know that we are revisiting the mission format for the ITC, uh, maybe to streamline a little and combine it with other missions. Who knows? Uh, but that that can also mission format is also uh, key, critical. So if you're a TO and you're concerned about games not finishing and games not coming to a natural conclusion, but you also don't want to drop in points and you don't want to implement chess clocks or you don't want to implement a hard nosed 
uh, format or hard-nosed stance against games not finishing, like banning players or disqualifying players, uh, you can maybe look into your mission format a little. That's something you can you can do to make everything simpler and make games finish on time. A quick piece about that uh, that rolling from Maelstrom. It is absolutely the onus on your opponent too. Um, I mean, sure you need to remember, but if you know your opponent's not rolled Maelstrom, kick them that reminder up front. Don't let them don't let them go through a turn and be like, oh, by the way, you didn't roll Maelstrom as you get to your turn or something like that. It it's bad form. I um, not necessarily ITC, not not naming the event or player. Uh, I had somebody didn't tell me I, I forgot to nominate a mission for something, and they didn't tell me until the end of the game. They knew I didn't do it. Oh, and didn't tell me. Yeah, it was. Oh. But just situations <laughs> like that, just don't give them the mission. You want to win the game, not not the mission. You know. All right. Uh, so, uh, guys, uh, I'm curious to hear what you think. I think we're winding down here. Uh, Brett, is there any last and is there any last things, any last minute tips uh, for players to pl- play faster, or maybe get their opponents to play faster? The hardest ones, if you so, there's a difference between playing slow playing and taking a lot of time to play. There's definitely two. There's very distinct. Um, differences between those two. Your army, for example, like a battle company army, takes takes time to play, and you could be a slow player, not a, someone that's slow playing people, but you could just be a slow player, somebody that takes their time to do their moves just because um, they're slow. You know, all those trackers and everything. So, yeah. So everything in 40k, you're, it's a tracker. It's a, it's something that's going to stress your brain, and if you, the more you have, the more complicated it is, the more strain it is. So. It, game three or four of an event you're like <laughs> you could be really sucking at that point so just make sure you're tactful with how you tell somebody hey we gotta get the game going or like find a find a best way to meet that median and if it if at all if you do have to like stop a slow plane it's best to get a judge involved don't try to fix it yourself and it, it'll just start an argument and then you, you turns into a bad game just a uh, a nonchalant you know hey let the judge know hey i think they're having an issue with time you know find a way to get a, a judge involved and then maybe that'll help the situation uh, also don't say nothing and then go online and complain about your opponent slow playing you and saying you had a bad time and um maybe telling people not to attend the event don't do that please don't do that guys stop doing that i am I'm looking i'm talking directly to you dude i'm i'm sorry you had a rough time at that event and i'm sure that maybe your opponent wasn't playing as quickly as possible um, but that is no excuse to not say anything about it to your opponent and then go online and actively prevent people from going to that event there's a huge personal pet peeve of mine um i will never discourage people from going to events no matter what the event is i could hate the event um, because that's that's infringing on people's livelihoods and a lot of TOs, they, they want to turn events, running these events, into part-time jobs or um, income or extra income. Um, or they've devoted a lot of time to it. And it's it's soul-crushing to run an event and ha- have less amount of, amounts of attendance. And then to go online and see one person kind of say something that could have been fixed and resolved about your event. And maybe that altering the perception of your event. Um, so, so just keep that in mind, guys. Uh, like Brett said, call a judge. Uh, if your opponent's slow playing, you talk to your opponent, say, hey, go on a little slow. we got to pick it up, man. Um, and then worst comes to worst, give them a bad sportsmanship 
and really kind of like if, if they're absolutely not playing quickly uh really kind of just like talk to someone after the event and talk to the tournament organizer or maybe after your game um you know just try and handle it in a discreet and professional manner as best you can that's yeah that's also another thing you can do to to uh speed up your opponent's play is to help them move models um you know just offer just be like hey can I move these models for you so you're not running around the table every 10 seconds? Uh, I, where would you like this model? Uh, or concede certain things. Well, for example, if your opponent's shooting a uh, he's shooting a, a Wyvern at like three Termagants, you can just <laughs> offer to pick the Termagants off. I'm just going to take off. them away. I'm just going to remove them. Right, I offer right. that to my opponents if I get 30 From. hits on a unit with a Wyvern and they're like five guys. <laughs> like, dude, can I, I... I do that all the time. I'm just... I just... And... Uh, the, I I, per, I think in general most people won't care, uh, especially if you if you tell your opponent that you're trying to make the game quicker to respect them and and to get them a full complete game. I don't think anyone's gonna be like, no, that's not cool. Um, so just do little things like that. Give give your opponents things. Let your opponents win arguments. I've I've let people like re-roll their their uh, charge moves with their jump packs, even though they move 12 inches in the movement phase. And just just because they're assault marines and they're like whatever, I'm like okay, you're gonna charge your assault marines into my centurions, who have hit and run. <laughs> okay, cool. Eh, they fail. They, you know, it's it. Eh, it's not. It's not the end of the world. So, so um, but so basically, guys, uh, you try to be nice and try to always remember to be as time efficient as possible and to help your opponent out and help them be as time efficient as possible. Um, and I think your games will go a lot quicker. Hopefully, hopefully they will. Also, know your army. That's another big thing. Uh, everyone I talk to, when people ask them how they prevent slow playing, it, that's like the number one answer is to know your army inside and out. Know all your rules. Uh, know it as best you can. You know, no one's asking you to memorize all of the the rules of 40k, uh, but you should at least know the ones you're using. Uh, all right, all right, Brett. Anything else? Um. No, not at this time. All those Renegade players, if you decide to play Renegades, make sure you practice them. They are a very unique army where you have to actually, like, you have to know your rules up, down, and backwards. Absolutely. Very easy to get past any Forge World army, for that matter, because you mentioned, well, that's a whole other basket right there. (laughs) Uh, All right, guys. So if you guys have uh, any other tips or if you guys have any stories of games not finishing on time or anything funny or anything you want to add to the conversation, go ahead and let me know in the comments on FrontlineGaming.org. Uh, I know I have a lot of people who listen. They listen to on the cars um, while they're driving or maybe they're while they're working or while they're painting. And that's cool. And I appreciate all of you who were listening. Um, but I do like getting comments and I do like getting feedback uh, specifically on FrontlineGaming.org. You can also email me, FrontlineGamingPDPob at gmail.com if you want list advice uh, or if you have any general comments about the podcast or anything you want improved on or anything you like that I do uh, you can't email me but frontlinegaming.org and comments on there are primarily how I get feedback from you guys or how I like I would prefer to get feedback from you guys um, so let me know if you guys if you guys think if time management is a serious thing that cannot be solved by simply the things that brett and i talked about and has to be an institutional fix uh or or if you think that people can play faster and and do best the best they can to play quicker Uh, i'd like to know what you guys think 
thank you very much for listening brett thank you for having for for coming on and for talking about delvio and i know it was it was a grind for you um and then on top of that it's also late for me and for you uh we're recording so thank you so much brett for coming on uh it was really awesome having you and that's always it. an honor appreciate it all right guys have a good one uh, next week, I don't know what the topic is, um, but I do have a lot of interesting topics planned for the month of March all the way up until the summer. Um, so look forward to that, guys. And if you, as always, have any topics you want to want me to talk about, let me know, and I'll probably get them on the show. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.